is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. in every hood worldwide you know you gotta love it streets ain't shit to play with they know to take your life fast to the black zl1 250 on the dash role model for your kids i'm so real to say i'm not cops killing young black men this that is rasheed wallace rapping on the sogon challenge uh if you didn't know rasheed wallace could rap you uh were not alive in the 90s apparently because he did it a few times if i remember correctly i think there was a uh by the way, this is uh, Bad Boys and Beyond. I'm Mike Payton, your host, and uh, with me is Keith Black Trudeau, your other host. Um, I think there was a, this album called The Basketball's Best Kept Secrets, and he was on that, if I'm not mistaken. I think Cedric Sabalas was rapping on there. Jason Kidd had a song. I know Dana Barras had one. Uh, it, you got to be real old and real, real 90s-ish to remember that one. But if you haven't gotten what we're doing yet today... It's Rashid Wallace Day, everybody. And the ball don't lie today. And I'm very excited. Very, very excited to be covering Rashid Wallace. This is probably, you know, I'm looking at my notes. This is probably the most notes I have taken for a single episode because I could not wait to. This might be the longest one we do. I, like, I love Rashid Wallace. Keith, you excited? Yeah, he, Rashid Wallace is just a wonderful walking contradiction of being an extremely uh, egotistical uh, player, thinking he knows more than anyone else on the court, and yet in style, in substance, he is one of the quintessential uh, team-oriented stars uh, of the 90s and 2000s. <laughs> there, there was, so he's a one-of-a-kind uh, a human being, a one-of-a-kind one player. I'm excited to get into it misunderstood maybe like a, maybe a little misunderstood i i think people think that he's like a a trouble maker which you know maybe there's some there's some warrant to that but like this guy is uh he's a champion man he's a, he's a great team player he's i i i i've got nothing but good things to say about rasheed wallace but uh since since we've got so much to talk about with with she today we're gonna get right into it and uh, let's go all the way back to high school in Philadelphia, where Rasheed Wallace was Mr. Basketball USA. Yeah, Simon Gratz uh, in in Philadelphia. Uh, Rasheed Wallace, he he hit the ground running. Uh, Simon Gratz in the early '90s was an absolute power. Uh, they were nationally ranked in uh, 1991. Uh, I I believe he linked up with Aaron McKee uh one I think Aaron McKee was a few years ahead of him but I think they played together for one year but uh Rajin Wallace was so damn dominant uh his high school team his sophomore year uh they were ranked mythically as a national champion and in his senior year in 1993 averaged just 16 points for you know the the top ranked big man in the country but also averaged seven blocks and that's kind of where Rashid's value always came in was on the defensive end. 
And his his senior uh, class, uh, his senior year in Simon Gratz in 93, is ranked by a lot of people as one of the 15 to 20 greatest high school basketball teams of all time. Uh, bottom line, Rasheed Wallace almost never lost in high school. He was just a consummate winner right away. Even though he didn't put up uh, eye-popping numbers, it was well-recognized around the country. Uh, he was the most sought-after big man in the country, uh, which is why he wound up in North Carolina playing for Dean Smith. When you win Mr. Basketball at USC, like there's there's a Mr. Basketball for every state. Everybody knows that. Um, you know, but this one is is USA, the entire country. It means you are the best high school basketball player in the entire country. And Rashid won that one in, in 1993. Uh and oh, Jerry Stackhouse and Randy Livingston looks like they were the runners up on that. Uh his 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 future teammate there. Um, but let me just read off some of the names that Rashid Wallace has company with here. Wilt Chamberlain, Oscar Robertson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Patrick Ewing, Kevin Garnett, Chris Weber, LeBron, uh, Isaiah Stewart, Cade Cunningham, um, and this year's, uh, or last year's winner was uh, Dariq Whitehead, who now plays for Duke. Um, I guess in my understanding, it's not going that well, but uh, that's neither here nor there, but but I mean, this this award, like everybody, you know, uh, uh, Chet Holmgren, Lonzo Ball. This is like this is the award, man. Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Whatever happened to Michael Kidd Gilchrist? I really thought that guy was going to be good. That's another conversation for another day. Uh, but, but yeah, no, I mean, this is that's a huge, huge award, and uh, and yeah, to go to North Carolina and play with Jerry Stackhouse and Jeff McGinnis for uh, Dean Smith, like that's you know only continuing a, a uh, already sterling legacy for, for the young Rashid Wallace. Tell us about his days at North Carolina. Yeah, he was a, a, I mean, he was a rotation player, but he was kind of a backup his freshman year. But his sophomore year, you really saw him come into his own as a starter alongside Jerry Stackhouse, who you also mentioned. Uh, 17 points, eight rebounds, almost three blocks a game. Uh, North Carolina was one of the, the four or five best teams in the country. And they proved it by making it all the way to the final four where ironically they were, uh, they were dumped in the final four by Arkansas, who was the defending national champion that year. And uh, Corliss Williamson, who was much more interested in scoring points than Rashid was in that game. But uh, despite that, uh, Rashid Wallace uh, was drafted a lot higher than Corliss was uh, that following season or that following summer. Yeah, I I think I just saw a uh, not to get too off topic, but I think I just saw an Arkansas basketball documentary the other day about that time, and uh, I I got to go back and look for the title of it. But I'm going to tell you what it is as soon as I figure out what it is. And uh, you oh, know, forty you... minutes of hell—that's what they called that team. Yeah, that, that, I... Was, that I hated that team because they knocked out uh, Michigan. Uh, the year after Chris Weber left for the NBA, and I, I thought they really had a chance. And uh, Juwan Howard actually dominated that game. He was amazing. He had the best game of his life. But Arkansas just had too much depth. Uh, but yeah, they. If you look at their roster, Corliss is the only one that really sticks out. It doesn't look like any of those guys uh, had any notable NBA success other than Corliss. But you would have to see them play. They were just a pressing, trapping. They, yeah. they made your life hell defensively, and I love those teams. I just found out what it is. It's an SEC-storied 
episode uh, called 40 Minutes of Hell. It's on the SEC channel. Um, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Give, give it a watch. Give it a watch. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, there's a Sam Bowie SEC story that's really good, too. But I've right. actually seen that one, yeah. Yeah, I, we're, get, we're getting off topic, as we, <laughs> as we usually do. I'm just successful NBA players. Yeah. Uh, so after his sophomore season, he decides to go enter the NBA draft. But I, I feel like if he would have stayed an extra year, played his junior year, he'd have been playing with Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson. I feel like that's a better team. Look, I love Jerry Stackhouse and Jeff McGinnis. But I don't know. I feel like Rasheed, Vince Carter, and Antoine Jameson is a better team. Yes, but they weren't that good right away. Uh, Vince Carter actually was never a dominant college player. He was a very good one, but he kind of got drafted because of his, his athleticism. Antoine Jameson was very good, uh, but it, it's weird. Like They didn't have the kind of success in the tournament that you would think when you see those names. Of course, with with Rasheed Wallace providing all the defense that he, that he could, I'm sure that team would have won a national championship. Uh, but it, it, in one of the following two seasons. But you could say that for a lot of guys that left college early. It, it was the mid-90s. We were getting into the, the – we were, we were finally getting into the era of guys chasing the bag and not, you know, spending more time than they have playing for free in college. Like, some guys did it, and that's fine. Uh, Rasheed Wallace, obviously, he was more concerned with uh, with getting his uh, career on. And that's, that's fine because – I think his the two years that he spent with Dean Smith uh, did wonders for uh, how he played the game. I, it's not like he was a winning player. It's not like he was a losing player before he uh, played for Dean Smith. But Dean Smith, you can see the the influence, uh, the technical aspects of his game. Uh, I'm going to get a little off topic here again, but still on topic. Uh, okay. Maybe maybe this is an age thing. Maybe this is just me being an old head, but I feel like the 1990s were the greatest time for college basketball. I mean, look how many future NBA Hall of Famers and superstars were on these college teams. I don't think you see that much anymore. With you know, like I love the G League at night. I think it's a great idea. Uh, but there's other than that, you know, there's a lot of one and dones. There's guys coming in from overseas. There's you're not really seeing a ton of uh competitive basketball with with teams that are going to remain somewhat similar the next year uh like you were at this time i don't know i mean i think maybe people will maybe point to the 80s uh as as that with the but but i don't know this was a really fun time yeah i'll, I'll tell you what the 80s if you look at the especially the early to mid 80s without a doubt the, the highest concentration of, of talent that college basketball has ever had and I'll tell you what about college basketball in the mid-80s. A lot of those games sucked because there was no shot clock because college basketball uh, is slower to adapt than, like, old-timey baseball. It's just – I don't they, – they, it took them forever to adapt to three-point line. It took them way, way – it took them 30-some years to adapt a shot clock. So, like, if, if you look at some of those old uh, NCAA tournament games from the 80s, the games where one team is clearly more athletic than the other, it becomes a game of stall ball. Like a, a team gets a 10, like if, if a lower ranked team gets an early two or three basket lead, they spend the rest of the game playing four corners and just throwing the ball back and forth. <laughs> it, it's just, I don't know. Like that, that famous, uh, the, the greatest upset in the history of the national championship game was 
was Villanova over Georgetown. If there was a shot clock in that game, Villanova would have lost by 35 points because all he did was hold the ball the entire game until Georgetown got frustrated and started taking chances on defense. But you're, you're right. I am getting on a tangent here, but I'm, I'm with you. I think the 90s were the, the best blend of, of talent and actually the talent being allowed to play as opposed to the 80s where you had you know, all these legends of the game and the, the final scores to these games were like like 55 to 52. Yeah, it was just a it was just a really fun time. And, you know, look, I'm not a Michigan guy, but with like the Fab Five and I don't know, it seemed like college basketball was cool for the first time ever, like to everyone, not just, you know, basketball heads, but like everybody wanted to watch college basketball at that time. Yeah, I think that was the ESPN influence. Yeah, I could. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because they were the biggest uh, pushers of college basketball. So it's the thing that they had the rights to. Um, well, uh, speaking of pushing, she's going to push on out of North Carolina, and he's going to enter the NBA draft, yep. and he's going to get selected fourth overall by the Washington Bullets, uh, the team that I constantly think dropped the ball on, on what could have been a – Great 90s run if they would have held on to some of these players. But, uh, yeah, Rashid only plays one year in Washington, and he, he gets all rookies second team. But uh, tell, tell us a little bit more about uh, what happened there. Yeah, see, this is one of those situations where a team – all right, I have a rule, and most people have the same rule, so I'm not special here. But if you're picking in the top five in the draft – uh, unless you're using someone else's pick, you're, you are a very bad team and you have no, no, absolutely no business whatsoever taking best or excuse me, t- drafting for fit. You always take the best player available regardless of fit and you figure it out later. And that's kind of what the Bullets did. Uh, they already had Chris Weber and Juwan Howard on their team. Speaking of Michigan, uh, their two best players already played power forward. So, of course, the best player that's on the board at pick four is a power forward. And to their credit, I think the Bullets did the smart thing. They drafted Rasheed Wallace. And as fate would have it, Chris Weber, I think he dislocated his shoulder early on in the season. And he was out. And all of a sudden, Rasheed Wallace goes from being in a major minutes crunch to starting <laughs> in short order. And he he plays so well that uh, there's a lot of interest in him around the league because they – they know Chris Weber's coming back eventually, and Juwan Howard is still there. So the, the Bullets kind of made a decision that summer. Uh, do they let Juwan Howard walk as a free agent, or do they bring him back? And they kind of showed their hand. They brought him back uh, to like a $100 million price tag, but they brought him back. And because of that, they kind of had to make a decision to unload Rasheed Wallace because you have the fourth pick in the draft – and they had too many holes on their team, especially at, at guard. I don't think they wanted to let him go. I think they knew how, what they had. Uh, unfortunately, I think they overrated what they had in Juwan Howard, unfortunately. So they wound up trading him uh, to Portland for one of the the best uh, pure point guards in the NBA, Rod Strickland. So they got a tremendous return. And Strickland did lead them to the playoffs a couple of years later. Uh, but it's hard to say that Portland didn't get the better end of the deal because they got the much younger player. And eventually, I think Rasheed Wallace proved to be the better player. Yeah, I mean, almost immediately he he shows up in Portland. He he gets the starting job. Uh, he's he's 
he's starting to get better numbers. Uh, I mean, he goes from 10, 10 points a game to 15 points a game. Yeah. Uh, he's up to almost seven rebounds. He's blocking shots. He's like, he's, he's clearly uh, with more minutes. He's, he's a better player and, and Portland, Portland scored. Yeah. I mean, Portland totally scored on this trade. And uh, look, I love Rod Strickland and I'm, and I've, I argue for him all the time that I, I feel like he's a better point guard than, than people remember him being, but uh, yeah, she just, she, she brought him uh, at Portland farther than Rod Strickland could. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, tell tell us about some of those early days in, in Portland. Yeah. So like you said, he moved right into this, to the starting line of at Portland. Uh, he was still young. I think he was 21, 20 or 22 or 23 years old at the time. Uh, his usage went way up, averaged over 15.7 rebounds, about a block uh, a game. And if, if you're expecting his rebounds to go up ever, um, you're, you're just going to be waiting forever. Because let, let, this is, I think, where I should get into uh, Rasheed Wallace's game. Uh, very technically sound player, excellent post player, uh, could shoot fadeaways uh, going right or going left, uh, good footwork, had hook shots, just everything you would want out of a a fundamentally sound post player, uh, excellent range. I think early on in his career, he, it was about 16 to 18 feet, but, uh, R- Rashid Wallace had some three point range in him that I don't think even he knew he had until later on in his career when his coaches started allowing him to actually shoot them because back in, you know, back in the nineties, you were six foot 11, get your ass in the paint. Don't shoot three pointers. It's a waste of your time. Uh, but Rashid Wallace was, and I, I praise his defense constantly because he was an outstanding individual defender, especially in the post. Uh, was never a very good rebounder. He just wasn't. Uh, his frame wasn't necessarily built for it. He had great hands, but he would get he, he he would get moved out of position a lot. He just never had a love for rebounding. He could do it. He just was never great at it. And I think honestly, that cost him probably seven or eight All Defensive Team nominations, just because. People looked at his rebounding and said, oh, you're a 6'11 power forward that's grabbing seven rebounds a game. Uh, why should I vote for you? It's because they don't <laughs> they don't watch the games and they just look at basic counting stats and they don't see the actual impact that he has, which is a problem I think people even have today. Uh, but in any case, uh, Rashid never – he always had the ability to score 25 to 30 points in any given game, but he rarely did because – it's not that he didn't try hard. It's just that I think scoring kind of bored him. I think what excited him more was making his teammates better. I, I think he found the defensive aspects of the game very, very interesting. But when it came to scoring points, I just don't think he ever felt the need to prove himself like a lot of other star quality NBA players do. It's it's kind of weird. And as we go into his uh, early Portland career, it's the same thing. Uh yeah, his scoring goes up, you know, from 10 to 15, 14, 13 points a game, but it, it kind of levels off there. And if you see in the uh, his first taste of playoff action, uh, he's averaging over 20 points a game uh, against the Lakers in 97. You know, Portland gets knocked out in the first round, and this is kind of the sad theme of his Portland career. Uh, very next season has another solid season. They run into Ellie in the first round and they get dumped by Ellie in the first round. Now, the the really interesting thing is his uh, third season in Portland, uh, that lockout short season in 99, they actually have him coming off the bench as a six man uh, behind Brian Grant. 
And he, the thing is though, Rasheed Wallace never really cared. He just wanted to play. That that's that's the interesting thing about his ego. He, he always thought he was the smartest guy on the floor, uh, but he never felt the need to prove it uh, in his play or in his minutes or have the numbers. Uh, he knew how good he was and he was comfortable with that. So yeah, when when they asked him to come off the bench to make the team better in 99 he did that and the blazers went all the way to the conference finals and he actually started that uh that conference final series against tim duncan and the spurs uh outscored tim duncan he was averaging i want to say he averaged uh over 20 points in that conference finals against tim duncan outscored tim duncan in that conference finals but unfortunately the rest of his team didn't show up uh not really and the uh, spurs swept the blazers <laughs> And but that you could see though, you you could visibly see how much talent he had, and it certainly convinced Portland because Portland, despite uh, you know him averaging 14, 15 a game, they threw the full bag at him. They gave him sixty six years, eighty million dollars, which in the nineties that was a huge part of your cap. Uh, so it's not like uh, his contributions weren't being valued. Uh well. Those contributions would get a little bit better when you come to the 2000 season. He's going to be an all-star for the first yep. time. Uh, this is arguably, you know, the best uh, Trailblazers team that he's going to play for during this time. They're going to get to the Western Conference Finals again and and uh, f- get to a seven game uh, with, with the Lakers. And unfortunately, they're going to lose. Um, you know, tell us tell us about what, what steps, you know, did Rasheed, how did Rasheed get better? You know, how did he become an all-star? Um, so, yeah. If you look at his minute, R- Rashid Wallace, he jumps up. He's playing 35 minutes a game. Uh, Portland goes out that summer after losing to the Spurs. They make this big, huge blockbuster deal. They bring in Scotty Pippen uh, to be their final piece. And Rashid Wallace, still the best player in that team, even with Pippen there. He, he Rashid was the, was the actual best player. He moves back into the starting lineup for the full season. As you said, uh, they won 59 games that uh, that year. It was really that 2000 season was really the Blazers and the Lakers. down. They forced game seven. And in that game seven, they, they are a wrecking house. They were up, I think, 13, 15 points in the fourth quarter. And, man, uh, <sighs> the, the, the collapse that they have in that game seven. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah, the, it Difficult was. And the thing is, Rashid, Rashid Wallace scores thirty points in that game seven. He showed up, but the the rest of his team just kind of fell apart. And you could argue that was if that if it wasn't the best playoff game of his career, it was one of the top two or three. You know, for him to go into a game seven in L.A. and play as well as he did. And it just wasn't meant to be for the for the Blazers. It was just Shaq and Kobe's time. They win game seven. They go on to win the championship. And that Blazers team was really put together for that one season. Uh, they, they, they were older, especially with Pippen. Uh, they probably weren't going to run it back. That was all, for no, all or nothing for them. And unfortunately, it was wound up being Rasheed Wallace, the one guy in his pr- still in his prime, trying to carry a, a team that was crumbling around him. And th- this is where I think the technical fouls and the frustration come into play because for the first time in Rashid's NBA career, he's kind of expecting 
uh, to win games. And I, I think maybe the frustration kind of boiled over. And I've said this over and over again. Rasheed Wallace thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. And a lot of the times he often is. I mean, you got to imagine that this is a guy that never, almost never lost a game in high school, uh, played for one of the greatest, if not the greatest college basketball coach ever in Dean Smith, won a lot in North Carolina. Like he, he's, he was exposed to winning uh, pretty much his entire life until he became an adult. So he probably had a pretty good idea of how things were supposed to go. And I think he took a lot of it out on the referees because I think the sad thing is he probably knew more about the referee's job than the referees did. He was that smart and he was too smart for his own good a lot of times. And it got him into trouble. So that 2000 season, he picked up 38 technicals, which was an NBA record. And the very next season uh, on a much worse Portland team, he picked up 41 and broke his own record. And then, yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's kind of what, Sheed was kind of known for around that time was just being that technical foul guy. Um, and that's where that, that troublemaker moniker comes in because he, he's on a team that uh, they're known as the jailblazers. You know, Bonzi Wells yeah. is getting in trouble. Damon Sotomayor is getting in trouble. Um, and I think that, you know, anything that she did was, was on court, you know, it's not like he was going out and breaking the law or anything. Cool. Uh, I, I always felt it was kind of unfair that he got wrapped up in, in that old jailblazer talk thing. But um, yeah, yeah, there's the technical foul situation. And then there's there's the situation with uh, with official Tim Donahue where he uh, he threatens him out on a on a loading dock. Uh, all the all the information on that's not known, but it's it's very interesting that it's Tim Donahue and knowing what we know about Tim Donahue now, uh, he would obviously be the guy who's got many, many documentaries made about him because he was uh, he was cheating. He was he was fixing well, things. I, without going in, into, he, he was betting on games and he was leaning on on bets, and there's a good chance that he was fixing them. Uh, but in this instance, uh, what happened was Rasheed Wallace was having a a uh, perfectly fine conversation with another referee. It wasn't heated. And then Donahue comes over and he whistles him for a technical for something he said to the other referee. And that's what set Rashid Wallace off. Uh, Tim Donahue, I think we all know he's in kind of a scummy human being. Yeah. And yeah. Who who among us has not wanted to fight Tim Donahue? Let's get, let's be honest. I, I I'll fight him. You bring it on. Me and you, Tim Donahue, <laughs> Las Vegas, uh, MGM Grand this summer. I'll so, see you there. But yeah, that was kind of, and that happened in Rasheed Wallace's last full season with Portland, uh, which if, if you want me to summarize uh, his career, just, just being uh, tortured by the Lakers. After they lose to the Lakers in the conference finals in 2000, they meet the Lakers in the first round in 01. They get swept. Oh, yeah. two. They meet the and Rasheed Wallace's numbers are are great. I mean, he's the one of the highest paid guys in the league at this point. He's putting up career best numbers, you know, and not great numbers, but still like 18, 19 points a game. Uh, made an All Star again in two thousand one, but it doesn't matter because the the Lakers are just better, and the Lakers are getting better, and the Blazers are getting worse. So they get swept by the Blazers in a one, swept by the Blazers in 0-2. 
03, they managed to avoid, or swept by the Lakers, excuse me. 03, they managed to avoid the Lakers, but they run into Dirk Nowitzki in his prime. And they they actually, it's weird, because they, they were down three games to nothing in that series, and they actually forced a game seven, which is something that's only happened a few times in NBA history, but they still lose that game seven. And from that point on, it was Rasheed Wallace. They, they The Blazers had drafted Zach Randolph, and he was kind of the heir apparent as they saw him. And they were just kind of looking to move on from Rashid and the, the public relations dark cloud that had descended over that organization. And Rashid Wallace, I think very unfairly, was kind of the poster child for that because of all the technical fouls. Even yeah. though, like you said, he he never got into you know serious trouble with the law like everybody else did. It's just he was the face of it. Um before we move on to the next little bit here, I, 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 maybe I'm wrong, but I always kind of felt like the Kings kind of took over for what the Blazers were supposed to be. Like, you know, the, I, like the Blazers were supposed to be that other Western Conference team that was um, going to be able to challenge the Lakers. Obviously, you know, it didn't work out as well. But then the Kings just kind of built this great and super fun team and, and just kind of like market corrected the Blazers a little bit. Yeah, the uh, I don't know the yeah the, the Kings did take over from where the Blazers left off. They where they were probably it was them. It was actually very synonymous uh, or analogous to the 2000 season where in 02 everyone thought it would be the Lakers and the and the Kings and it was and the Kings had Game Seven at home and blew it. So yeah, that, that's a pretty good analogy. Uh, well. <clears throat> The Blazers are going to uh, they're going to move on from Rasheed Wallace, and this is where our story gets gets really fun. Uh, they're going to go ahead and trade Rasheed to the Hawks. We talked a little bit about this on our trade episode a couple weeks ago. Uh, they're going to send him to Atlanta for Sharif Abdul Rahim, former Piston Theo Ratliff, and Dan Dickow. Uh, he's going to play exactly one game in Atlanta, and it's going to be a uh, a loss to the New Jersey Nets. He does score 20 points in that game. Uh, and there are pictures of it. I swear to God it happened. And then and then he gets moved to the Pistons. Uh, and we talk again, we talked a lot about this in depth on the uh on the trade episode, but this was everybody knows how big this trade was. This was huge for the Pistons. This was the thing that, you know, this is where everybody truly believed. Once he showed up, it was like, here we go. And and he fit in almost immediately. Um, yeah, it was a yeah. seamless fit. It to, to start with the Blazers. Honestly, they they just wanted to get rid of Rasheed Wallace, and it's not because they thought he couldn't play. It's just they wanted a clean sweep of their their persona, their public image. So they actually get a decent return in Sharif and Theo Ratliff, neither of whom were anywhere near as good as Rasheed, but they were still good players. And the Hawks, meanwhile, just wanted to unload those con- those contracts, which had some money left, and get Rashid for his expiring contract. And they didn't necessarily care about Rashid the player. And it was very clear because, as you said, after one game, they flipped into the Pistons uh, for a collection of role players and, and uh, first-round draft pick. Now, what, what Rashid Wallace does with the Pistons, and, and this is just a work of art as far as I'm concerned, uh, Rashid Wallace... Uh, after coming to the Pistons, who 
had kind of reached that status where they were kind of a contender, but no one took them seriously. Like they 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 had a really good team. They were a perennial fifty plus win team, but everyone knew in the playoffs they didn't have enough top end talent to win every win the entire thing. So when Rasheed Wallace comes to the Pistons, uh, here are some statistics. I don't need to read off his his numbers because I don't I don't care. I don't even know what his numbers is. 13, 14 a game, who cares? That's not it's not the Rasheed Wallace impact. The the Rasheed Wallace impact uh is winning games and especially on the defensive end and the things that he does uh there. He started 21 games the rest of the regular season with the Pistons. 17 and 4. It could have easily been 20 and 1. They they lost like three of those games in the last minute. Uh it shows in the the point differential was 13.3 points per game. They the average score uh, they won by 13 points. Uh, that that is like 96 Bulls territory. That is ridiculously dominant. Uh, 76.7 points allowed per game over a 21 game stretch. It, they held eight teams under under the 70 point mark. Eight out of 21. Uh, they only allowed 90 points one time in 21 games. I, I am going to keep repeating those numbers because those are numbers you will never see again in your in your lifetimes for any stretch of games, let alone a quarter of a season. Uh, the, the Pistons were the most dominant defensive team of all time for that, that stretch from Rasheed Wallace uh, being dealt to Detroit to the end of the season and through the playoffs. It, it, was, it was a work of art. And Rasheed Wallace and having Ben Wallace there and Tayshaun Prince and Chauncey Billups and Richard Hamilton, Mike James, Lindsey Hunter, uh, even Mehmet Kerr off the bench with some energy. And Eldon Campbell was a contributor. But in any case, Larry Brown, the coach, was able to tie it all together. He loved drawing up aggressive defenses. And Rasheed Wallace was like the linchpin of everything because he was able to play center fielder while Rasheed Wallace protected the rim. He could, he was basically like center field, like free safety, rowing all over the middle of the court while Tayshawn and the guards pressured up front. It was, it was the closest thing the NBA probably will ever see to like a high, like a college level trapping defense. And they just wrecked havoc with it. It was, it was impossible for some teams to get the ball up court. And you could see Rasheed Wallace was the guy that brought it all together. And he was intelligent enough to really do everything as far as playing the perimeter and also playing the other team's best low post player to allow Ben Wallace to do what he does and come over from the weak side and help. And yeah, I think by the end of the season, if you didn't think the Pistons were winning the championship, you you thought they would at least make the conference finals, if if not the finals, like they, they were the hottest team in the league going into the playoffs. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And once they get to the playoffs, obviously they they make a lot of noise, and uh, and then they get to the series against the Pacers, and they lose game one. Yeah, and Rashid comes out and does the thing that, look, man, there's there's two ways that you can go about guaranteeing things in 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 sports. You could you could guarantee a win, and it happens, and you are a hero, and you look amazing. And it becomes a legendary moment. Uh, you know, think about Babe Ruth pointing, uh, calling his shot and stuff like that, you know. And then there's uh, 
uh, guaranteeing a win and then losing. You know, what if Babe Ruth struck out after calling his shot? Uh, and that's not what happened. And and it just became this legendary moment. Garen, uh, we call it now the Garen Sheed. Um, and you could actually hear it in in our uh, our intro that we do for this yeah. show. It's uh, it's it's one of the greatest Pistons moments ever, in my opinion. He guarantees a game two win, and they pull it off. Yeah, and see, here's the thing that I think makes it special. A lot of a lot of guys will throw they they'll subtly guarantee or they'll subtly hint at, and, and that knowing that the media will will run with it, and then when you press them on, it, they say, "Well, I'm not guaranteeing anything," or "I didn't say mean it." How Rasheed Wallace was very clear uh, when he said they they will not win game two, and he was he. He made it very clear for everybody. They will not win. He made the guarantee. But what I think made that neat is because if you don't have the respect of the ultimate respect of your team and your teammates, that that hurts you more often than not because you're putting extra uh, extra pressure on them. And I thought the effort that the Pistons came out with because Rasheed Wallace, the the other side of this is Rasheed Wallace shot four for nineteen in game two. Uh, he had a horrible offensive game. But he blocked five shots, and his team blocked 19, including, you know, everyone remembers the one at the end with Tayshaun Prince. But the point is, there, there was an incredible amount of intensity and effort in that game. And I think a lot of it, uh, I, I think a lot of it was sparked by his guarantee, because everyone in that locker room couldn't wait to back him up, couldn't wait to prove him right. And, and I, I think that that speaks to a lot of Rasheed Wallace being an excellent teammate and being one of the ultimate glue guys, you know, really in NBA history. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's like I said, it's an amazing moment. We liked it enough to put it in our, our intro. Uh, obviously, the Pistons are going to go on and they're going to win the championship. And, uh, and then I think Rasheed starts uh, a trend. He goes out and he buys the entire team uh, WWE World Heavyweight Championships, uh, the big gold belt. If you're a wrestling fan, you'll know what you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, and he gets them all personalized, and and then he 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 carries this thing around the like almost the entire 2005 season. You could see just look up Rashid Wallace World or WWE World Heavyweight Championship, and you will see him in about 50 different outfits carrying the world title. But, uh, you know, I, I maybe this happened before this, but I don't remember it. But after that, it seemed like any time a team won the Super Bowl or any sort of championship, somebody was carrying a, champion, a, a WWE championship. Now it's to the point where the WWE actually sends teams the championships uh, and, and like, and, you know, and they and they put on the side plates at the at the game. Uh, with the correct team that won. And I, I, I just feel like Rasheed Wallace is owed some money by the WWE because this is all for branding. Obviously you want, yeah. you want to see, you know, Patrick Mahomes walking around with that big WWE logo on it. And um, yeah, I think WWE owes sheets some money. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty certain that Rasheed Wallace is the first NBA player to have a, a, a wrestling championship belt that he brings into into games. Actually, I think it was more like a boxing championship belt, wasn't it? Nope. 
I, I don't I don't I honestly don't remember. I, I could have sworn it was boxing. He, he went into it like with a boxing theme and then WWE kind of ran with it and tried to try to coast with it. But yeah, I I think it's it's one of the cool things about Rashid Wallace for a guy that was so statistically uh uninvolved, you know, relative to being a starter. He was perfectly happy to let Rip and Chauncey uh ha- take all the shots, let Ben Wallace take the spotlight. But no one was more proud of winning that championship than Rasheed Wallace. Uh, I don't know if it was an affirmation to him that, that he was still a winning player in the NBA, that he was this misunderstood guy, that if a, a team just embraced him and used him the right way like the Pistons did, then everything would be fine. I, I'm not sure if that's the actual truth, but I, I think it's pretty cool for th- that he was so proud of the team's success, even though statistically, you know, all, all the other guys were were giving up all the, were putting up all the numbers, but absolutely no one denied Rasheed Wallace's impact. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I got distracted with my championship belt <laughs> going over my head. I'm an idiot. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a big it's a big thing, and uh, and. I bought the, I mean, I have this championship just because that's the one that they carry it around and because I'm a big wrestling fan, but, uh, 2005, they, they, they go back to the NBA finals. Uh, she, she has some, uh, has a pretty good series against the 76ers. Uh, tell us about that. Uh, I mean, there's not much to say. It was statistically, I think his best, uh, post season series with the Pistons. Uh, it was against Chris Weber, who was I think I think that's part of the reason because Chris Weber, that was like his veteran when he was a rookie uh, with the Washington uh, Bullets. And he was like the guy getting Chris Weber's coffee and bringing him the newspaper and donuts or whatever. So I, I think he relished the opportunity to finally play against him in the playoffs. And unfortunately, Chris Weber uh, really slowed down by uh, knee injuries at this point. And Rasheed Wallace really, really lit into him. Uh, but I, I think that was the one of the few times and where he felt compelled to score a lot of points because he, he was going against his old, I don't know, I don't know if I'd call him a mentor, but that was like his big brother, his original big brother in the NBA. And yeah, they. Weber's like the, a year the, older. The Pistons, <laughs> yeah, I know that like, that's, I don't want to say, like, I think it was more like a, like a big brother type thing. Yeah. But uh yeah, the uh, the 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 Pistons make their run at a repeat championship. They get they get past the Sixers. Uh, they get past the Pacers again. They go to the conference finals. Uh, Rasheed Wallace, uh, hit, ironically, hits gets a big rebound and hits a uh, in a a major shot to uh, give the Pistons a, a nice buffer in Game Seven in Miami. I, I I remember him more for going up to to Kenny and Ernie and, and Charles Barkley at the end of the game because the game was a TNT game, and it says and he, he goes up to them and says, uh, "We we just sent y'all fishing," because <laughs> everyone expected the Pistons to lose that game, and that was TNT's last broadcast anyway. So I thought that was funny, but yeah, he goes up against the uh, against his old college uh, rival Tim Duncan. Who was at Wake Forest when Rasheed Wallace was at uh, North Carolina, and it, it was kind of an interesting series because that was the comparison. Uh, Tim Duncan, uh, who 
statistically dominates every game that he's involved in. Not to the point of being selfish, but he gets the most out of his talent, right? And Rasheed Wallace, who people were comparing him, he can do more offensively than Tim Duncan does, which was kind of a lie, but people were saying it. But he's just, he's not that kind of guy. He doesn't have that that uh, in him, that go-to guy mentality in him to want to dominate. And the Spurs win the series. Tim Duncan uh, wins MVP, which I think I still, to this day, I think that should have gone to Manu Ginobili. Because if you look at Tim Duncan's numbers, uh, Rasheed Wallace absolutely locked him down. Duncan got numbers because he took a lot of shots, but his percentages were not very good. And unfortunately, instead of remembering his great defensive performance in that series against Tim Duncan, uh, we remember him for what, Mike? Do I have to say it? <laughs> Leaving Robert Ori wide you're, open. You're the one that, yeah, look, you're the one that, that yeah, left that on our footnotes. I'm going to make you say it. I was, I was hoping that you'd miss it. But yes, he, he leaves big shot Rob, the, the one guy. You don't ever want to leave open in a clutch moment. Pistons are up two in a tie series in game five with a chance to go up three games to two going back to San Antonio. This is overtime uh, with, I don't know, 10 seconds left, something like that. And they're up two. All they need is a stop. Or at the very least, don't, don't give up a three. And like you said, Mike, uh, who is the one guy on that San Antonio roster that you, under no circumstances, want taking a clutch three-pointer? It's, it's Robert. Robert yep. So the ball gets inbounded. To, I, I think Ori is the one that, that inbounded it, actually. Ball goes to Manu in the corner, and Rasheed Wallace, again, I, I, I will defend this decision because the, the corner is absolutely the worst place to have the ball against a double team. So he goes over to trap, trying to force a turnover, and the trap isn't set uh, quickly enough. And Manu is able to get the get the pass away to a wide open Robert Horry, uh, who drains a three pointer and winds up being the last basket scored in the game. And the Spurs win that game. The Pistons, to their credit, go on win Game Six and force a Game Seven, but. As we all know, the, the the Spurs did win Game Seven, yeah, and that was. I, I I really hate to say that this is like one of the biggest mistakes in Pistons history. There have been a, a few major blunders, but it seems to be the one that people don't ever want to like go off. It's akin. It's akin to the Dennis Johnson steal. I mean, it's like it's as bad, if not Larry, worse. Yeah, Larry. <laughs> the, the, oh Dennis yeah, Johnson's excuse me, the uh, Larry, Larry Bird steal. steal. Yeah, and pass to Dennis Johnson. Sorry. Um, you know, I still think the worst part about it is that damn Matchbox 20 song. The this is how a heart breaks, like that was the theme song <laughs> of the finals. And it like so it you see that moment, and then I think they go to commercial and they're playing This Is How a Heart Breaks, and it's like, <laughs> good God. Just man. rub it in, why don't you? <clears throat> and then of course, you know, the heart broke when they, they lose game seven, but you know, uh <clears throat> I, I, I think that, yes, I think they deserve to win that that series, uh, and they probably should have. But, but you know, the Spurs were – they were just on another level at that time. Uh, I'm not I'm not drying tears right now. I'm just scratching <laughs> my eye. Uh, I swear. So, uh, you know, 
Rashid's going to hang around with the Pistons a little bit longer, uh, yeah. and they're going to make it back to several Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I think, uh, and we'll talk about those, but we got to talk about the big moment, the the, the full court oh. shot. Tell tell us about the full court shot. So this this happens a couple of years later, in two thousand seven, and it is one of the most memorable. Uh, I think it's one of the most memorable regular season finishes of all time ever it is it's it is as close as you can come to a miracle finish that i've ever seen uh to set the stage the pistons are down by three points uh against the denver nuggets at home with time running out uh chauncey billups tries to draw a foul on a three-pointer misses badly uh the ball gets knocked out of bounds it's off detroit and george carl the, the denver nuggets coach he calls a timeout uh, with 1.5 seconds left to advance the ball to midcourt. Pistons have no timeouts left. So the Nuggets are inbounding at midcourt. They are up three points with 1.5 seconds left. The Pistons, even if they get a steal, have no timeouts. Uh, this is as sure a win as, as you could possibly get. I don't know what the odds would say. It would be <laughs> your, your odds to win would be 99 with 59s after it, uh, percentage-wise. They would, And... I think the only person that thought the game wasn't over was Rasheed Wallace because he's just that damn smart. The The ball gets inbounded. Uh, it gets ping-ponged around. It gets deflected. But again, there's only a second and a half left, so time is still running here. And Rasheed Wallace picks it up and he flings it probably 55 to 60 feet uh, right next to the baseline or the, uh, yeah, the sideline. And it goes in. And you could see the, the the crowd of people. That's the it's the one of the best shots because you can see the crowd of people that are streaming towards the exits in the palace as the shot is going up, and then it goes in, and they all turn around like, "Wow, what just happened?" And it was it's one of the great moments I think in Pistons history, even though it was a relatively meaningless regular season game. And it just just it's such a great finish. And the, the, what makes it great is that Rasheed Wallace takes over in overtime, hits a few big baskets, and the Pistons win. I, I think it would have sucked if they would have lost in overtime. I, I've never, I've never wanted them to win a regular season game more after this. It was just a perfect ending. Here's here's the George Blaha call on that as well. And Rasheed from long range. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Uh man. I think Kelser's reaction was better than George's. Yeah, I, I think it was too. Yeah. I, I look like someone to... ran over his foot with a steamroller. Oh, oh. Yeah. I look forward to when we could have Pistons uh commentator reactions like that again. I look forward to having real Pistons basketball back again. Yeah, real Pistons basketball is gonna be great. An actual so, basketball team would be nice. Yeah, says the guy who's gonna go see the Pistons play yeah. the Pacers in like four days. <laughs> Yeah, if you're listening to this, I, I will be at I will be in town for my one week a, a year, uh, starting next week. Uh, well, I want to say what is March 11th, 12th, 13th, something like that, to visit family. And I yes, I do plan to catch a Pistons game. So if you if you happen to be going to uh, 
the Pistons game on Monday night against the Pacers. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll be there. So, uh, yeah, the interesting thing is uh, we've covered all this part of uh, we've we've covered all these parts of Rasheed Wallace's Pistons career, but we he still has two All Star appearances that we haven't even mentioned. Uh, two thousand six, uh, the the Flip Saunders takes over for Larry Brown. The Pistons uh, win sixty four games, still a franchise record. Uh, four of the five starters go to the All Star game. Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, Rip, and Tayshawn. Uh, they do run out of gas uh, in the conference finals against Miami in their rematch. But it, it, 2007, which I think is kind of cool. Just keep talking. I'll hear it. Okay. Yeah, 2007, which I think is kind of cool because uh, Ben Wallace leaves that offseason, so it's kind of just Rashid by himself. And the Pistons actually pick up Chris Webber, who we just talked about, who was, who was released uh, by a bad Sixers team, so he could – you know, get one more run at a ring. So Rasheed Wallace actually gets to to play with his quote unquote uh, uh big brother for the last you know half run of his uh career, and they actually played really well off of each other. People remember Chris Webber's you know being kind of hefty and and with bad knees uh, with the Pistons, but he was really effective, and him he and Rasheed Wallace had great chemistry. And they turn their season around, and they they get back to the conference finals, and unfortunately they get they get dumped by LeBron and a ridiculous Antonio McDyess suspension, which I'm not going to get into because we'll be here for three hours. But Chris Weber, you know, he has to move on. He retires. Uh, 2008 comes around, and Rasheed Wallace is back in the All Star game. Pistons win 59 games again. And this is when you start to see his, uh, which I think is interesting, his ownership of one young Dwight Howard, who got, I think the best example of someone asked me, uh, give give me examples of Rasheed Wallace at his defensive best. I would say watch every game that you ever played against Dwight Howard, uh, because Dwight Howard was bigger, stronger, way stronger, way more athletic than Rasheed Wallace, probably 12, 13 years younger. And he he just struggled against Rasheed Wallace because Rasheed Wallace was way smarter and he knew how to position himself defensively to limit everything that Dwight Howard did. Because as, as dominant as Dwight Howard was from a physical uh, perspective, from a talent perspective, he only had one or two moves and Rasheed Wallace always had those moves covered. And if you, if you look at Dwight Howard's numbers against Rasheed in the playoffs – and they played against each other several times. Uh, Rasheed Wallace always won. But it, it looks like Dwight Howard had decent statistics, but it's like you're, you're not – you'd have to watch the games because Rasheed Wallace was always covering Dwight Howard without any help. This is Dwight Howard at the peak of his powers in his mid-20s, a, a legit MVP candidate. And Rasheed Wallace in his mid-30s is just taking him out of the games – uh, forcing him to take uh, bad, inefficient uh, shots. It, it, it's just it, it's just such an uh, interesting uh, matchup. But like I said, Rasheed Wallace's teams always beat Dwight Howard's teams, and it was always because Rasheed knew exactly how to frustrate Dwight Howard, uh, despite being at a physical disadvantage in pretty much every way. It's it's pretty hilarious. Yeah, I think you know, and and not 
he was so dominant at that time, like you mentioned. Not a whole lot of players could could do that. So it's really interesting to watch a mid-30s Machine Wallace stop this young yeah. dominant player. But uh yeah, 2008 is gonna be the last time the Pistons make the Eastern Conference Finals. Here we are in 2023, just uh, <laughs> still waiting for it to happen. Still waiting. Still waiting and we'll get We're there. We're going to be waiting in 2024, too, because they're not going anywhere this year. Um, she's going to play one more season with the Detroit Pistons. And uh, then then basically uh, both parties agree to yep. part ways. And, yeah, that uh, was the end of his yeah. Pistons contract, and everyone knew that it was time to rebuild, and they didn't really try to retain him, and everyone knew she had maybe one good year left in him anyway. So I think it was at best for everybody that he left and went to Boston. Yeah, he goes to the Boston Celtics, which is an obvious move to try to win one more championship. Um, you know, I <laughs> everybody was trying to be on that Celtics team. I remember there were rumors that Reggie Miller – was considering going to the Celtics. Uh, it was very short-lived rumor, but um, but well, I, I think, they, I think they asked him and he said no. I think they tried to get him. I don't think he was inter- ever close to coming back, though. Okay, uh, he does. He does get to play in one more final series in tw- in 2010. Uh, Kendrick Perkins gets injured and he actually winds up starting Game Seven against the Lakers. They uh, they wind up losing that game, but he does get to start another Finals game. Uh, a big a big one. Yeah, uh, yeah, and he and he had a pretty decent game too, if I remember yeah, that's, correctly. Yeah, and, and once again, Rashid's biggest impact uh, on that Celtics team was against the Magic, who were favored to beat them in, in in the conference finals that season. And and Rashid Wallace, as he always did, frustrated the hell out of Dwight Howard, and that that was kind of his thing. And he he's coming off the bench for the Celtics at this point. Uh, He's no longer a, a guy that can play starters minutes. So, and this would have been the greatest finish ever. I've never rooted for the Celtics in my entire life except for this one game because Kendrick Perkins, uh, all five points and three rebounds worth, uh, gets injured uh, and he's not able to play game seven of the NBA Finals uh, against the Lakers. And Rasheed Wallace has to step in, plays really, really well. Um, 11 points, eight rebounds, but that doesn't, come close to signifying you know the things that he was he, he looked a lot like the old Rasheed Wallace he just gave everything he had and unfortunately he fouls out uh as the game's winding down and the Celtics can't hold on and they lose but man I, I man I, I I wanted him to win that championship that second ring uh just because he's one of those guys like I, I root for him to win because that's the only thing Rasheed Wallace was ever interested in was winning. Even if it was winning an argument, he was just interested in winning. He wasn't interested in his own individual statistics. And that would have just been a great cap to his career. And as it turns out, it wasn't the uh, end of his career. Uh, Only briefly. Technically. Yeah. He does decide to retire after that season and he's gone for two years. And then in 2013, for some reason, <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you why he decides to play 21 games for the New York Knicks. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, there's not really a whole lot that went on. The, the, the Knicks won 15 of those. though. That's I think oh. the best part. He, yeah. He's a backup center, backup stretch five, averaging seven points in 14 minutes a game. 
but he was still affecting wins and losses, even yeah. even at the age of 38. Uh, but his body obviously was not suited to play NBA basketball anymore. So he lasted a quarter of the season and then he got injured again and that was it. Maybe I don't fully remember this 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 era of the Knicks, but I mean this is Tyson Chandler, right? Starting. Yes, this was uh, the one this was the one season where the Knicks were actually really good with Carmelo Anthony. And Armari Stoudemire and yeah. Yeah. And and what did they just need an extra body and she was like, they hey, I'll do it. Okay, yeah, it's just interesting. I don't know. Uh, they called 38-year-old Rasheed Wallace, who had been retired for two years. He was still in shape. Obviously still in basketball. Kind of. Kind of. Well, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Mean, <laughs> he, he was a very much a stretch five, running three-point line to three-point line. Like, he was not running the full 94 feet at that point. Sure. <laughs> he, 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 would, he would run down the court and stop at the three-point line. Well, uh, yeah. Well, like after half his shots were threes. After that, he's going to retire again. Um, and yeah, and that's going to do it for his playing career. He does uh, have a little foray into coaching uh, with the Pistons. He briefly. was, uh, yeah, briefly. Uh, he was on the Pistons staff and he was on the University of Memphis staff with uh, Coach Larry Brown, um, sort of mm-hmm. briefly. Uh, actually, um, this kind of happened during the pandemic time. So he was a remote, he was a remote coach. <laughs> uh he coached via zoom um, but yeah that's you know i i look forward to seeing whatever it is that rashid does next and like you said he's a guy that you'll always you'll always yeah. cheer for you know I, I would love for him to have some sort of job with the pistons whatever it is as, as an ambassador or something i don't know what it would be but i would love to have him back in detroit uh more often i'm surprised he never played for the 76ers or did anything with them because since he's such a big Philly guy well, and he's a big Philly guy. He's not necessarily a big um Philly sports guy. Well, I remember, you know, when he played for the Celtics, I think the Bruins were playing the Flyers and he was walking around back back uh, you know, backstage, back in the back with like Flyers jerseys on and stuff like I, I think he is a I think he is a Flyers fan, but if you recall just before the Super Bowl, he was at the Sixers game because he's a he's a Chiefs fan. He's a Chiefs guy, yeah. 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 So he was he actually he did, did this on purpose. He wore the Chiefs jersey to the Sixers game right before the Super Bowl. Oh man. Oh shit. <laughs> and you know he did it. No, he knows Philadelphia better than as well as anyone. So he didn't expect like they put him on the right. jumbotron and everyone's booing him and he's doing the wrestling heel like pull like raising his hands up like you guys get boo louder than that. Like he had a great time with it. Yeah. Only she could do stuff like that. <laughs> Only Rasheed. Well, anybody else like, would be guys, like, like Charles Barkley is another guy that, that can do that. And you, oh, that's just Charles being Charles. Like that was Rasheed being Rasheed. Right. Um, well, now we get to our, our, uh, our, our questions here at the end. Our two questions. What is the legacy of Rasheed Wallace? I'm going to add an extra question in there, but let's go. Let's go first with what is the legacy of Rasheed Wallace? Uh, very much that 2004 championship uh, where statistically he looks like a guy that was an average starting power forward, but that doesn't, that, that really doesn't describe the amount of impact that he had. I, I think this, this statistic is mind blowing. Uh, he played in 177 playoff games, uh, only scored 30 points three times. He just was never that that, and for this guy that could that could score any way that he wanted to, it was 
And you would say, oh, well, that guy's an underachiever. Well, statistically he was, but I, if you asked Rasheed Wallace if he was an underachiever, I guarantee you, well, he, he would probably cuss you out first, and then he would explain to you that everywhere he went, you know, he, he won games. He won a lot of big games. And I, I think that's the the overwhelming legacy of Rasheed Wallace is that he was a winner. Yeah. Uh, you, you can say, oh, he only won one championship. Well, a lot of guys never won any. And his championship ring, I think, is one of the most memorable in NBA history because it it was the whole team was like Rasheed Wallace. They were a bunch of guys that that weren't superstars that came together and outplayed a team with two of the top ten players of all time. <laughs> and that 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 I think is Rasheed Wallace's legacy. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the guy's a champion, ultimate teammate, just a guy that you'd want to have on your team. Uh, and you know, you want a guy who, who believes that he can win, uh, no matter what. And I think that's Rasheed Wallace. And he, and he showed that throughout his career. Um, the second question though, is, and this is a big one is Rasheed Wallace, a hall of famer. He is up for, uh, induction. Well, not up for induct. He could be inducted is what I'm saying. He's, uh, he's available to be inducted, uh, this year. Um, do you think he's a hall of famer? I, I think I think yes, and here's why. Uh, and I know I know that I know that st- statistics and and MVPs and all that stuff is is the thing that everybody uh, points to as the reason why you should be able to be in the MVP or uh, the Hall of Fame or not. But I, I look at it like you know moments. Moments are important too, and and Rasheed Wallace has a ton of them, uh, and I mean. It you know it, that 2004 Pistons team it's 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 a moment that is a moment in time that no one will ever forget. Everybody will always talk about. It's not just Michigan. It's not we're not the only ones who talk about that 2004 Pistons team. Like everybody remembers that team. It's, oh yeah, every time every time in an NBA season to this day when it, when a team that lacks a quote unquote dominant superstar is near the top of the NBA standings, people automatically start comparing them to the to the Pistons of yeah. 2004. It's never a good comparison. They're, most of them are terrible. Right. But that's the first thing thought in people's minds as well. We, we could be seeing another 2004 Pistons. And maybe we'll see something like that one day. But we, we're 19 years removed, and we have yet to see that uh, happen again. A ragtag group of misfits come together to win a championship, and he was probably the most important misfit uh, or at least he was the big misfit that unlocked the championship ability of that team. I agree. I think I think for that you got to put him in the Hall of Fame. All right. I think this is two questions: Does he get in, or should he get in? I don't think he will get in. If he did, if he does, it'll be, you know, when we're in an old folks' home somewhere, you know, twenty or thirty years when people look at his legacy, not his numbers, because right now. Uh, you'll you'll see a power forward that's average that averaged career fourteen points and uh, I don't know whatever for rebounds uh not even seven rebounds a game for his career I I think a lot of people a lot of voters especially will look at that and say even if they remember Rasheed Wallace they'll say okay well he was a classic underachiever you know he, does he deserve the highest honor with only one championship ring and now. I, I, for that reason, I don't think he'll get in, at least not for a very long time. Uh, but should he get in? I, I'm kind of 50-50 on that. 
like, like there's a guy like uh, Bill Ambeer. Does he deserve to get in more than Bill Ambeer does? He's certainly more talented than, than Bill Ambeer, but Bill Ambeer actually, <laughs> Bill Ambeer actually outclasses him statistically. Yeah. So and Bill Ambeer has twice as many championship rings. Well, Lambeer is also not just synonymous with a moment. He's synonymous with a decade. Like, I mean, you know, you, you look at 80s basketball and you can't yeah. not bring up Bill Lambeer. That's why I think that he's. I, I think I think they're both infamous in that way, because <laughs> you think of Rashid, you think of the, the technical fouls yeah. and, and, you know, constantly arguing with referee. I like everything about Rashid Wallace isn't overwhelmingly positive either. So I, I think. Bill Lambeer is kind of the barometer here. I think I think Bill Lambeer probably deserves to be in just ahead of Rasheed Wallace uh, overall if you look at their careers. So I I, th- I think if Bill Lambeer isn't in, I don't think Rasheed Wallace necessarily should get in, whether that's right or not. I, I think Bill would deserve to go in first. Well, I guess we'll see what happens when we check into that old folks home and uh, maybe he'll <laughs> be in by then. Uh, and then our other question, obviously, uh, can Rashid play today? And I, I don't see why not. Yeah, but... this question answers itself. Uh, yeah. er, early to mid-90s, or excuse me, mid to late 90s Rashid uh, that stayed in the post all game, I think he would still play today because he doesn't, he didn't necessarily need the ball all the time. He wouldn't be eating up room in the paint. You could still space the floor with him, especially with, he was a very good passer. Uh, but Pistons Rashid Wallace, uh, like early to mid two thousands Rashid, that was hitting trail threes like they were going out of style. Oh my god, he'd be perfect today. Uh, the only thing I think might hold him back was he wasn't that great of a ball handler, like putting the ball on the floor. Other than that, man, he is the perfect stretch five for for today's game. I, especially, you know, they don't have the big two hundred and seventy pound monsters like they did back in the day. So he he would actually be more effective on the glass. It, and not to mention, I his intelligence level. I keep saying this, but I can't stress it enough. It was off the charts. Uh, he would absolutely uh, run circles around a lot of these kids mentally. I, I I absolutely think he would actually be better today than he was twenty years ago. I wonder how uh, you know since since their fouls are so you know easy to come by these days. I wonder if he would be a problem racking those up. Uh, Oh yeah, well, today you know there. You're right. You, that's a different story, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, the technical fouls would just be it would it would be every bit of a, an issue today as it was before with him. And you're right that that might actually be worse today because could, he would be called for more fouls. Could you still hand check back then in 2004? I when did they get rid of that? When was the hand check? Uh, after I want to say between 05 and 06, okay. after the Pistons to the finals a second time, they that's when they completely eliminated it and tried to because then that's all of a sudden Dwayne Wade was getting to the foul line 55 times a game. Right. Well, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting conversation. Um, and he only, he, he played like 10 years ago. So it wasn't, it wasn't that well, long ago. I think it's proof. Yeah, that, that was with the Knicks. Like, his, yeah. your, like, like you said, his career effectively ended in Boston and that was 13 years ago. Yeah. Well, that is going to do it for Rashid Wallace. Uh, this was a fun episode. I, I love talking about this guy. Um, and I look forward to our next episode, which is going to be uh, getting back into the DeLorean. We're going to go to 2002 and uh, redraft the 2002 NBA draft. This is an interesting one. This is the Yao Ming draft. 
This is Amari Stoudemire. This is uh, Tayshawn Prince, a big, you know, that's a Pistons one there. We got uh, Karan Butler, Carlos Boozer, uh, Mike Dunleavy Jr. We got uh, Jay Williams. There's some interesting uh, uh, guys that are drafted lower in this draft, too. Matt Barnes. Um, Role players are us. Yeah. That's the old old two draft. Drew Gooden, John Salmons. Oh, my gosh, I forgot about John Salmons. Uh, Man, I, you know what? I won't, we won't get too into it too much, but man, I really thought Dewan Wagner was going to be the guy in this draft and he was not. Well, he had, he had some health problems, but I, I think it was pretty clear early on in his NBA career that you're, I look, I was there, right. I was right there with you. I, I thought he was going to be fantastic in Cleveland yeah. and Cleveland's probably pretty happy that he wasn't very good because they, they sucked even worse his day here and they wound up with LeBron. So all's well that ends well. Yeah, we're getting and Duan, even. And Duan, as as uh, John Calipari is quick to tell everybody, Duan got paid. Yeah, he did, uh, and he got drafted too. And that's another thing that Calipari loves to do is send those guys to that draft. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're getting ever closer to that LeBron James uh, Darko Milicic draft. We'll see. We'll see where that happens when we can finally get to that one. But yes, look for the uh, 2002 NBA draft next week, and we'll see you guys then. Thanks for listening.